everyone, I'm Isabel. Um, I am in my fourth year at uni. Oh, okay, it's you. Uh, <laughs> doing psychology. Uh, so yeah. Um, so here at Cross Cultures, um, our Bible talks are based on the Bible. And so now I'll be leading us to read um, a passage from the Bible, from Mark 8 verse 27 to 9 verse 1. You can find it on your uh, handout. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Thanks, Isabel. Hi, everyone. My name is Daniel. Uh, I'm one of the staff here at uh, Deacon CU. And it'll be good if you kept your outlines open. Uh, that we'll be referring to those. It'll be good for you to follow along. Everything I'm going to say is written out uh, in full transcript. And so if English is your second language, or you find if you think it'll be helpful for you uh, to follow along, Isabel will hand out some copies of the transcript. Just put your hand up, uh, or um, and then she'll hand out a transcript. That'll that'll really help. Um, as I mentioned, my name is Daniel. I'm married to Jess, and I have two kids, Elijah and Eva. Uh, and if you keep coming along, uh, you will hear many stories about them, and you'll see many pictures of them. Uh, but none of them tonight. Uh, come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to meet you and show you pictures of my kids. Uh, they're, they're really cute. Uh, let me pray for us, and uh, we'll get stuck into this. Uh, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this opportunity to open up the Bible together. Help us to understand... Uh, what you are saying to us in this passage. Give us ears to hear you speak to us right now through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm. Now, as Izzy uh, mentioned before, here at Cross Cultures, each week we study the Bible. Um, and the Bible, if you're not familiar, is made up of 66 different books. And we're looking at one book called the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we started looking at it last year, and so that's why we're right smack, smack bang in the middle of it, in chapter 8. Uh, and it's a historical uh, biography of Jesus' life. 
And this book of Mark answers a question. And the question is, who is Jesus? Now that might be your question tonight. Uh, maybe you haven't considered it before. Uh, it's actually the question that our passage starts off with, if you notice in verse 27, the very first verse. Um, <coughs> chapter 8, verse 27. Uh, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked them, what did he ask them? Who do people say that I am? Now we've asked this question on campus. Um, and we surveyed over the last year... 600 different people with this exact question. And so I thought for your interest, you could see some statistics because, you know, you just love looking at stats and graphs. Um, But it's just really interesting. I just want to point out a couple of things. Only 4%, so hardly anyone on campus thinks that Jesus was a myth or legend, think that he he didn't really exist. Um, And so that means 96% think he was a real person. Of that 96, 55 think he was God. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other things that people think about who he was. Historical figure, a prophet, um, or um, or just a good man. But whichever way you look at it, it's quite clear um, that Jesus is someone worth considering. Most people, almost everyone thinks he was real. And it's so good that right here at Cross Cultures, we get to investigate this. We get to think about who Jesus is. And as I mentioned before, we're picking up halfway through Mark's Gospel, his biography of Jesus. And right in the middle, Mark is stopping us. And he's asking us to reflect. What have you learned so far about Jesus? From what you've seen in the first half of the Gospel, who do you think he is? Now we've seen what Deacon thinks. What do the people of the first century think? In verse 28, his disciples reply. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, one of the prophets. So Jesus' 12 closest friends say say whatever else they think of him. And they think that he's a prophet. John the Baptist, Elijah, they're they're prophets too. And so all these people think that Jesus is some sort of prophet. That's quite similar, isn't it, to what some of the people on campus say. That he's a prophet. But notice how Jesus turns up the heat just a little bit more. He asks a sharper question. He gets right up into their faces, doesn't he? With the following verse in verse 29. But what about you? Who do you say I am? And then Peter answers, You are the Messiah. Those who are closest to Jesus say that he is the Messiah. He's talking to them. They're the inner circle. They're the people who've followed him and been with him and seen everything he's done. And they say, they say he's the Messiah. Now, if you were with us last year, um, you would have known what we've seen up until now in, in Mark's Gospel. How Jesus has done all these amazing things. Things that he's famous for. He stopped the storm. He's cast out demons. He's fed thousands, thousands of people with just a few pieces of bread. And there's all the healings. He's healed the deaf, the blind, the sick. And it's not just miracles that we've seen up till now. Jesus also taught with authority. He forgave sins. Something that only God can do. And these 12 disciples who've been with him that whole way... How does that make sense of it all? 
How do they explain it? Jesus, you are the Messiah. What does Messiah mean? Well, it's a Hebrew word. If you study Hebrew, I'm sure all of you have. Uh, it's a Hebrew word for Christ, which is a Greek word, which once again, I, I assume you all have studied Greek. Um, what does Christ or Messiah mean? It means um, ceremonially anointed as king. Or anointed. Now in the Bible, uh, that's a very loaded word. It has lots of meaning behind it. You see, throughout the whole Bible, there are all these promises, there are all these prophecies, there are are all these proclamations from God about the Messiah. He's the king of God's people. He is the one who will save them from their worst enemies. The Messiah will establish God's kingdom. He is the ultimate hero. That's the Messiah. The amazing, promised one from God. And that's who the disciples have declared Jesus to be. That's the only way they can make sense of everything they've seen and experienced with Jesus. He can't just be a prophet. He must be much more than that. God's Messiah. He's King. Now that's a big claim, isn't it? It's a real claim. And it has huge implications. It affects everything in our lives. Now, if you don't believe that, if that's news to you, well, I would encourage you to investigate it. Because as we've seen, the data says that 96% of people on campus believe that Jesus really did exist as a person. And if he's made these massive claims, if he's agreed with his disciples that he is the Messiah, the least you can do is investigate to see if his claims are true for yourself. And one of the best ways to do that is to keep reading the Bible with us. Keep coming and joining us at Cross Cultures. Uh, We read the Bible together, we eat food together, we hang out together. Why not join and keep asking these questions with us? Come next week, it would be great. The other thing we do uh, is is ABCs. Um, They were alluded to before and you'll hear more about them later. But what we do in ABCs is we read the Bible in groups of three with a friend, a first-year or first-timer, or maybe at a cafe somewhere else on campus, maybe in the library or one of those. Um, Fusion Cafe, that's a good one, isn't it? Why don't you come and join us when someone invites you and says, would you like to read the Bible with us? Why don't you say yes? Why don't you say yes? Because uni is such a great time to consider these questions that the Bible raises for us. Now, one question that we might have right now is, so what? Jesus is the Messiah. If he is the king, so what? What's he going to do? We've already seen all these big things that um, that he's done, or, or you can look for yourself at all the big things he's done. What's it all leading up to? What's next? We're up to point two if you're following that outline, and that is, he dies. Isn't that surprising? Given that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is God's King, He dies. You need to see it for yourself, don't you? Because that's exactly what happens. Straight after Peter has said to Jesus, You are the Messiah, in verse 31, Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man, Son of Man is just another reference to Messiah, that the 
son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. There you go. This, the Messiah must suffer. He must be rejected by everyone who's anyone, the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law. We might think of them as the influencers, the politicians, the leaders in our society. They all reject Jesus. And so he will be killed. It doesn't finish there, does it? Because how can a king be king and he's dead? Three days later, he rises again. That's quite shocking, isn't it? You don't think that's what a king's going to do. That's what a messiah's going to do. But that's what that's that's what Jesus says. And as shocking as it is to us, we see that the disciples are shocked too. In verse thirty-two, he spoke. Jesus spoke plainly about this, and then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So even Peter is saying, "Jesus, Jesus, you got it wrong. You're the Messiah. You're the mighty one. You're the powerful one. You're the King. You don't get killed." No, no, that's not, that's not what's supposed to happen. What does Jesus say? Verse 33. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples and he rebuked them. Get behind me, Satan! You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus is saying, Peter, your concerns are normal, but they're not right. They're just human. Jesus' plans. God's plans, they're so much greater. They're so much bigger. They're beyond what humans could think of. And it's true, isn't it? God's plans so often are different to what we think. They're so different to how we expect things to play out. And in this particular case, What's the point of the Messiah coming? It's to suffer and die. God's plans, God's thoughts, His mind, looks like foolishness to us. But He says it's satanic to think our human thoughts. In God's thinking, the Messiah must suffer. Those two go hand in hand. Jesus' self-sacrifice, which we ultimately see on the cross as he died, is at the centre of Jesus' plans, is at the centre of his purposes here on earth. And that's so different to what the world thinks, isn't it? It's so different to what we might hear and expect from our society. We need to have our minds renewed, our thinking refreshed by Jesus. That only happens as we keep looking to Him. Because so often, so often, we think, we think of Jesus' death, we think of His suffering, and we think of it as an afterthought. Sometimes we don't naturally talk about it when we're talking to our friends, unless we're pushed to, because it's a bit uncomfortable, it's a bit awkward. Sometimes we don't think it's central to what they need to know. We don't think it's the best way to understand who Jesus is. We might focus on Jesus the good man with models. We might think of Jesus the historical figure who has influenced society, who talks about love. We might think of Jesus the prophet, 
who speaks God's words. But no. This passage says that we must have thoughts like God does. And that at the centre of what he's doing, what we need to know about Jesus is that he is the Messiah who suffers, he dies, and he rises again. Jesus' death is not a mistake. It's central to what he is on earth. And so it must shape everything about how we understand him and what it means to follow him. Which is what Jesus addresses next. What are we to do in response to Jesus? Jesus the Messiah who suffers. Jesus the Messiah who dies. How do we live knowing this? What are we to do? We're at the third point. Jesus calls us to follow him. As you can expect, if Jesus is God's promised king, we need to listen to him. And he explains what it looks like. He calls everyone around to everyone, everyone, come and listen, come and listen. Verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, in this verse, there are three imperatives, or three instructions. If you want to follow Jesus, this is what you need to do. The first one is, deny yourself. Your life is not your own anymore. You don't live for whatever you want to live for. The world is not yours, and it's not about your own success. Because, verse 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? You chase after this world and everything that it offers, wanting human wants, that's not of God. It's not following Jesus. Instead, what is following Jesus? Jesus who dies? That's the second imperative. Take up your cross. In Jesus' time, the cross was a, a very common form of capital punishment. It was very brutal, and the way criminals were hung up to die. And so what Jesus is saying here is, take up your cross, get a bullet, write your name in it, put it in your pocket, and get it ready. Because if you're going to follow me, that's going to cost you your life. So keep it ready, and, and, and be, be ready to hand it over to someone. Because the time's going to come when it's going to cost you your life. That's what picking up your cross is. Giving up your life for Jesus. And Jesus' instruction makes it clear, if it wasn't clear already, follow me. Jesus isn't just saying, go do that while I'll sit over here. No, no. What he's saying is, pick up your cross as I'm picking up my cross. Pick up your cross because I'm going to the cross to die. Deny yourself as I am denied myself. So what Jesus is doing is he's raising the bar for what it means to follow him. And it's clear in verse 38 that that means standing with him, standing by him. Verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him, of them when he comes in his Father's glory and with the Holy Angels. 
followers of Jesus aren't ashamed of you. We're called to stand up for you, to stand by you. I want to encourage us all to think about what that might look like uh, for us on campus. I'm going to invite Candice to come up. Um, Candice is also... Oh, you want to say something about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm also one of the staff. Sorry. <laughs> I'm also one of the staff that um, served you with the Christian Union, um, supporting the work on campus. Yeah, um, yeah that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you became a Christian uh, at Leighton High School. I did. Yeah. Yep. Um, what did you expect of following Jesus? Well, I think um, in hearing about this passage, reading this passage, I was just pretty much just like Peter. Um, very human in my thinking. Um, and so when I first heard about Jesus, I thought, great, um, he will solve all my problems. Um, particularly now I don't need to fear death. Um, but I pretty much just expected life to keep going in a good way, just like I planned. Um, keep pursuing my goals. I don't think I was particularly ambitious in high school. Um, maybe not now even. Um, <laughs> you know, but things like, you know, have a good job that I like. Um, one day get married stuff like that, just the kind of ambitions of a, a good and happy life. Um, and I thought that I could have Jesus um, without giving up having myself as the center of my life. Um, so, yeah, I had the real joy um, of the assurance that it was Jesus that saved me. I came from a very kind of religious background, a religious understanding of God where you have to do all these things. And so to know that it was Jesus that saved me was wonderful. Um, but still, I pretty much thought life was about and so um, you thought you had the same life following Jesus but some assurance about what will happen in the future yeah so kind of life after death was yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's been a few years since, <coughs> since then has that been your experience is that what following Jesus has been like well as I kept reading the Bible um, my expectations started to change um, particularly during my uni years actually um, and I learned that following Jesus pretty much means that you write him a blank check for your life um, Following him means not just like a tweak here and a tweak there, um, but it actually means that he gets to rip up my agenda um, and give me a new one, give me his agenda. Um, because I was living for the world, I was living for myself, for things that um, aren't worth it, that won't last. Um, and Jesus, as you read the Bible, he doesn't actually promise to make us rich or healthy or have an easy life. Um, so as I kind of learned what it means, follow Jesus, I had to count the cost. Um, it has been worth it, um, spoiler alert, um, but there's no disappointment of wasn't what I thought. Um, but yeah, having to count the cost and seeing other Christians do that too makes me feel that's, that's normal, following Jesus. So it's been costly. Um, can you give us some examples and how has it been costly? Um, so I know that Christians around the world suffer in much bigger ways, um, but I think there are a few things that are, are common to followers of Jesus, uh, which have been true in my life, um, in following Jesus is often a relational cost, um, and that can sting really badly when your relationships suffer because you follow Jesus. Um, one of the things that I hate is that feeling of not fitting in, um, when you stick out, when you don't belong to the group and everyone else and it seems like they belong. Um, and one of the areas in my life where that's been true um, is not quite fitting in in my family um, because they don't follow Jesus. Um, and I have a great family. Um, it's not like they've rejected me for following Jesus. Um, but as my priorities have shifted, 
um, and are more different from theirs, uh, there's points where I just have this not belonging anymore. Um, and so I make choices that they think are not just a bit odd, but they think they're actually really unwise choices, like that's a waste of money or that's a waste of potential or um, a disappointment maybe to how they thought their life and my life might work out. Um, maybe a conflict where I can't kind of just fully join in with things that they think are really great. Um, that's kind of the relational cost. Uh, I think another one is the emotional cost. I don't know if you ever thought about an emotional cost of being a Christian, um, but following Jesus um, is often hard. Uh, it doesn't always make you feel happy, even though we have a lot of joy in following Jesus. Um, and sometimes it's because of the costs on relationships. Um, but also, um, just having to say no to my own desires, uh, my own choices sometimes are not um, good and godly, the things that I desire. And knowing that my own heart is not good, it can deceive me. Um, so to realize that I'm wrong, that I'm against God sometimes, uh, that can be really um, sometimes just kind of embarrassing or uncomfortable, but sometimes it's really painful to have to say no to something myself. Um, so think of those times where, you know, it's easy to accuse other people. It's your fault that I'm, you know, angry or complaining or stubborn um, because, you know, you did this or she did that, that kind of thing. Um, but actually, isn't it my own heart that's ungrateful? Uh, isn't it my own um, judginess or not being uh, gracious to others? So there's things going on in me that Jesus is changing. Um, and that can be a hard and painful work. Um, I think it's actually a game to, for Jesus to do that work in us, in me, um, but it's often a painful game, and so it feels costly. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So there's a relational cost, there's an emotional cost that you shared about, and there are many other costs as well. Thanks for sharing those things. Um, now, verse 38 that we alluded to as well talks about not being ashamed with Jesus, of Jesus. Um, how have you thought about that? How has that sort of gone in your life? I think um, often, this is confession time, but often a lot of headspace goes into um, kind of stressing over what people think of me. You know, um, I'm probably not alone, but I think usually we want people to like us, like I want you to like me. Um, so it's hard to say things to someone if you think they might disagree or disapprove. Um, and so I think those are times where um, I might be tempted to be ashamed of Jesus. Um, nobody wants shame. Um, we all want honor. We want to be approved of, uh, lifted up. Um, have your people, your friends, your family think you know well of you. Um, but I think it helps me to ask um, whose approval actually matters. Who will I be loyal to? Whose opinion counts? Uh, will it be Jesus who saves my soul, who's worth dying for, who died for me? Um, or will it be just some group that I want to fit into? Popular opinion. Um, and it's very ingrained in me, I think in many of us, um, to want approval. Um, but I need to say, you know, I don't want Jesus to be ashamed of me. That's more important. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's really cool. uh, now, uh, my guess is, given where we're at in our stage of life, not all of us, maybe not even most of us, have had um, situations where we've had to make the big cost and make big decisions. 
uh, about how to stand for Jesus um, and feel shame for him on his behalf. Um, if that's us, uh, what, give me advice what we should do now. Um, I think that before suffering for Jesus, if you get that chance, um, the best thing to do to prepare is um, to know that it's going to come and to decide in advance um, to follow Jesus now when there's not that huge pressure. Um, follow him in the little things um, and that will enable you to follow him in the big things. Make that decision now that you'll follow him even if it costs you, even if it's painful. Um, so we hear of Christians around the world who do suffer terrible things and, and die for their faith in Jesus. Um, and I, I wonder if they probably didn't just decide on a whim in that moment, um, yes, I'm going to die for this. They know Jesus, and they chose before that to follow him no matter what. Um, and so we can make that same decision. Um, we might not get killed for our faith, um, but what about the hard things that would really put pressure on us? Um, what if it's plausible one day you or I have to go to prison for teaching what the Bible says? What if, just on a personal level, um, there's no Christian prospect to get married to and you really want to get married, will you stick with Jesus then when life is really hard? Uh, here at uni, what if you get asked your opinion in class about some controversial issue, gender and sexuality, and you speak about what the Bible says. What if your class mocks you? What if you get a bad mark? Will you stand for Jesus then? What if your parents say, no, you can't be a Christian and part of this family? Then what will you do? What if you apply for a job but you're blacklisted against it because you're a Christian? What if you can't find work because of those are all really hard things. They would not be easy at all. And I imagine anyone going through them is struggling hard. But you need to decide, Jesus is worth your life. He's worth all of that. Um, and I have no idea what my life's going to have, let alone all of your lives. Um, but you can decide now to follow Jesus and to dig your roots deep, grow a strong faith in Jesus so that you're ready when whatever happens. Yeah. Thanks. That's, that's really helpful. Those questions and those, uh, those examples, I think... They're, they're very real. Um, for some of us, they might feel quite far away, but, but actually, I think a lot of them, I think all of them, are real for us in one way or shape or form. Um, we might not realise it yet. And so it's helpful to be prepared, and it's helpful to recognise that there will be a cost to following Jesus. And so we do need to be prepared, as Candice encouraged us. But we've also been reminded that following Jesus is not all cost. Um, Candice has alluded to uh, the gain that she has seen uh, in following Jesus. Uh, and there is something worthwhile for this cost right now. And that's exactly what verse 35 is talking about in our passage, where it says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. It's because there's something better coming, isn't there? Jesus' death and his suffering is not the end point. He rose three days later. We're following a risen king. Uh, we're following a risen king who will raise his followers up with him. And so as costly as it is, as costly as it might be, as costly as it will be, that's not all there is to following Jesus. Remember, we need to keep remembering that following Jesus is the best thing. It's the only right way to live life. 
with every other way of life leads to death and that's it. Nothing more. Whereas following Jesus leads to temporary suffering but ultimately and finally it leads to the only way of true life. Um, I encourage you, keep investigating Jesus with us. Keep digging deep into the word with us. Um, We'd love to encourage you to keep doing that. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, the Messiah, who dies and calls us to follow. Father, um, by your Spirit, help us to do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs>